The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Bienvenidos a Colorado de Seguridad, uh, el episodio uh, 117. Oh, man, I can't do this. I, <laughs> me, me amo, Rob. <laughs> Hola, Rob. ¿Cómo estás? Uh, muy bien. Uh, this is the Cinco de Mayo episode of Colorado Equal Security. It, yes, it is. Um, we're sitting here with margaritas in our hands because it's Cinco de Mayo, and you can't have a, a Cinco de Mayo episode without margaritas. Uh, good stuff. And, of course, the weather is, is beautiful, and it's it's actually you know accommodating for us to enjoy the, the, the perfect day today. Exactly. Uh, are you going to do anything fun for Cinco de Mayo, Rob? Um, I'm probably going to eat some ethnic food, um, leaning towards sushi. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good thing for Cinco de Mayo. But I heard, I heard after the the uh, battle that this commemorates, they had sushi. That's that's what I, I heard. I think they didn't have anything to cook over, so that's yeah. perfect. I have heard that there are some sushi places that have fantastic margaritas. Oh, so yeah. so there's actually a play here that we could use. But before we get to that, yeah, why don't we talk about some housekeeping? Let's do it. So, uh, in case you hadn't heard, we have this cool thing. It's a Slack channel. Um, we have 900 people in the Woo. Slack channel, um, all from Colorado, all excited about security. Uh, you should come in there and you should have a chat with us, talk about security, see what's going on, uh, join the conversation. You can find a link to the Slack channel on the website at colorado-security.com. And on that same website, if you go to the bottom, there is a, a spot where you can sign up for our mailing list. You can get the show notes delivered into your inbox every week, uh, along with exclusive discounts on Colorado Equal Security merchandise. Yes, they are 0% discounts. <laughs> Exclusive. Only from the, the mailing list. Uh, also, um, if you like the podcast, please rate us on your, uh, your favorite uh, subscription service, whether that's iTunes or Google Play or... Uh, whatever podcast listener you listen through. And of course, please also subscribe to the podcast uh, so you get it automatically downloaded into your podcast listener. Uh, we would love it if you would also tell a friend, tell a coworker, tell a, a random stranger on the street about Colorado Equal Security. That's how we get new listeners. And uh, that's how we, we hopefully continue to improve the quality of security in the area. And if you also want to tell that friend uh, that we do all of this out of the goodness of our hearts and our pocketbooks, uh, that they should also... Um, if they feel like they want to support us, sign up through our Patreon account um, to give us, you know, a, a couple coins here and there to help us support the show, defray the costs that we have in making Colorado equal security. You know, it's been like a couple of years since we really talked about why we do this. So it, just as a summary for those who've joined lately, you know, we're, we do this as a, really as a way for us to amplify what's happening in the Colorado security community. Um, help make sure you know the different resources you have. I, I think we both realized at one point that um, you know it's really hard to to have a, a perspective to see everything that's going on on in town. So we thought we'd make the place for you to get that kind of a perspective. Yeah, some of those things are figuring out what events are going on, uh, the different security companies we have here in town, the organizations that you can be a part of, and also you know to get together and, and chat with your fellow security folks in Colorado. You know, our, I say our big picture mission is to make Colorado the number one place, the mecca for security jobs, security talent, and security investment. Yeah, for sure. All right, why don't we go ahead and jump into the news? All right, first, since it is Cinco de Mayo, um, our first article is about Denver's top 25 restaurants for margaritas. And fortunately, it's not just within Denver proper. It's actually some 
parts of the area. Uh, the number one restaurant, according to this list, is the Blue Agave Grill on the 16th Street Mall. Oh, sweet. Have you been? I don't know if I've been to that one. I've been there a couple times. I can't remember. It used to be, uh, used to be one of those. Re- oh man. I'm going to get in trouble. One of those restaurants where they have the waitresses not dress all that appropriately. Not oh, Hooters, but... Um, uh, Tilted Kilt. Th- it was that one. That, yeah. So it's that same so restaurant. So I haven't been there. I haven't yeah. been there. Um, so so that's the number one yeah. on this list. Alex, what's the number one place for a margarita on your list? Uh, I think um, probably Adelita's. There's actually a couple of locations of Adelita's. There's mm-hmm. one in downtown Littleton now, but there's also one on South Broadway. Yeah. Great food and good margaritas. Um, so my favorite place to get a margarita is if I'm forced to go to Casa Bonita, it's that the seventh or eighth margarita there. Uh, so I no longer mind the food I'm eating. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I think also it, it's a it's a decent list. I think I've been to about six or seven of the ones on that list. Lots of good margarita places in Denver. Yeah. Uh, Machete's Tacos is on the list, a place yep. that we've been quite a few times. Yep. Um, and uh, to the allusion I made earlier about sushi places, uh, there is actually blue sushi on the list of top uh, margarita places, which surprised us both. But um, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll go there tonight for my sushi. Uh, next, uh, we have a story uh, really about the final day of Colorado's legislative session. So the legislative session just ended on Friday. And if you, this article that we, we posted has a lot of different stuff. You can go see all of the many um, bills that, that went through there at the end. However, I, I was just going to call out, there's a specifically a tech one. Um, they've extended the tax credits for the purchase of electric vehicles, uh, which were supposed to expire in 2020 uh, through 2025. Yeah. I, I've always thought it's interesting and I get the reasoning you know, these people, it's, it's sort of a second job to be a, a legislator in Colorado. It's not a full-time job. Um, so it makes sense that you only have a, a pretty short legislative session. But every year it's, hey, we have all this stuff that we want to get right. done to govern the state. Let's cram it all in. And then you run out of time. Um, I, I wonder if it makes sense to, to rethink how we do those sorts of things. And, you know, I, at my company, if we decided, all right, for a few months of the year, we're actually going to cram in all our work, hmm. and then we're, we're just going to go away and, and do something else. I'm not sure how well that would go over. But it, there's something of an artificial constraint that makes you prioritize and, yeah, I guess that's uh, and true. go after the critical few things. I, I could see it either way. Um, how, what I wonder is if you, if you went from the you know, a few-month-long session to an you know, 11-month-long session, would we get any more work done? Would we just spend more time talking about this stuff? Could be. It's a hard question. Well, and at some point, um, if you do it either most of the year or all of the year, then you'll probably run into more like full-time politicians. Right. And I think that, you know, we see problems with that in the, yeah. the national government. So. And for those interested in getting an insider scoop on this, we had Cole Wist, who was a, who was formerly a state representative, right? Correct. Uh, on the show about a year ago. Um, so you guys can listen to that interview talking about how he helped get the Colorado cybersecurity uh, law. Privacy bill, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, next, uh, Amazon is bringing 400 new jobs to downtown Denver. I think we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, in that they're they're moving. I can't remember the name of the building, but it's the same building where Red Canary is. Yeah, the fifteen fifteen um, wine coop. I think. Yeah, it is. this is they're moving to the space where Chipotle was because of course Chipotle vacated and moved to California, bastards. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't think previously we knew the exact number of people that were right. going to be in that space. Four hundred jobs. That's a, that's a lot of jobs. It is a lot of jobs. It's going to be awesome. I look forward to our new Amazon overlords. You better. Uh, so uh, Davida has named a successor to Kent Thury. Kent has been the CEO of Davida for the last two decades. He's been a little bit of a controversial leader. Um, he's got some like national political tie-ins. Um, I remember you know seeing him on the Colbert Report or, or yeah. whatever took the place of the Colbert Report. What's that guy's name? Um, I can't remember. Yeah, the, the one that took that guy's place. Uh, 
kind of making fun of him for you know for the way that they do business and he had a was it an eagle or a falcon in the background or probably a bald eagle he's dressed up as sort of like king arthur before and you know there are other things like that and i have heard some people say it's a a little bit cultish or something like that in the way that the company culture is um but obviously davida is has been a great company it is always on the list of best places to work and and i know i have some friends there who who love working at davida and and actually like kent quite a bit too um he's replaced by javier rodriguez who has served as the ceo for their kidney care division for the last five years and this goes into effect on june 1st yeah and this uh keep in mind this was part of a planned succession so it wasn't uh you know the result of a scandal or or something that, that bad that happened you know, this is something that they've been planning to do for a while and now just putting that plan into motion. Uh, next, uh, Colorado-based Trimble is looking to change the face of development with mixed reality, you know, AR, VR software. This is especially interesting to me because when I think of Trimble, I'm thinking of, uh, and, and the, the article actually alludes to it, like hard hat type jobs. Right. Jobs where people are out in sites, you know, doing mining, doing big construction, um, and not the places where you first think about augmented reality kind of coming in right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that they talked about in here was, uh, was sort of, uh, you know, a situation like that during construction. You know, if you're going to make changes to something, um, you know, say you're you're making a plumbing change and you can't really visualize how that is going to affect, say, the electrical or the the uh, heating and cooling or other things like that. You know, with this mixed reality software, you can sort of look at at how things are going to be laid out after making the change and see if there's, you know, any problems that would hap- happen because of that change. And I, I physically walk through a site wearing these glasses and see where these new pipes would be and, and kind of figure it out. Right. At, you know, this, that's the augmented reality, right? You're actually walking in the place, but you're seeing these, right. these non-existent things. Oh, hey, the, the, you know, this plumbing work is now going to be in the middle of our foyer. Right. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't do that. Right. Or that's where we plan to have the egress point, whatever it is. So really cool stuff. And it's interesting to know that a, what, what we would think of as a non-tech company is really just completely digitally transformed here. Yeah. I, also, on last week's show, we mentioned that the uh, the security director position at Trimble is open. So if you want to be part of that company, you could be. Uh, speaking of Colorado companies that are doing great stuff, uh, congratulations to Red Canary. Uh, this week, they closed on a $34 million uh, round of funding. This is uh, this is a, an opportunity for them to really, you know, kind of go big and invest in um what functionality they want to be expanding across their, their offerings. Yeah. Good for them. Um, glad that they're going to have a little more funding to expand and get better and uh, look for good things from Red Canary. And I, and I, you know, I asked, I got to talk to Brian just a little bit about this this week and uh, Brian Bear, who's the CEO, one of the founders. Um, I asked the question, you know, did, did they take any money off the table as a part of this? And he said, not only do they not take money off the table, they're, they're trying to do their very best to, to, you know, they'd love to get more money on the table as they think that this is an opportunity, really a successful company that's growing and, and going to continue to grow. Um, and they're excited about the new investment partners they have. It looks like good stuff. Awesome. Love those guys. Uh, glad to see they're doing well. Uh, next, Swimlane announced a channel and technical alliances program. Uh, the, the channel program is really uh, talking about how they're going to be working with their partners, uh, certification for partners and resellers um, to be able to you know, install and, and train on, uh, on Swimlane and, and that sort of thing. And then the, the technical alliances program is uh, you know, similar to what a lot of security companies have. If you want to integrate with their product, they now have that uh, technical alliance program. Um, it did it should make it easier for uh, integrations to happen because, you know, basically Swimlane 
that's what they're all about is integrations, you know, integrating with other products, right. uh, making sure that you can automate those other products. It's it probably more strategic for them than, than just about any other uh, yeah. company out there because they don't work if they don't have those good integrations. Exactly. Um, next, we have a, an article here from L- Layers. We don't talk about these guys much. This is Chris Nickerson's company, uh, but they have named a new uh, COO, uh, Andrew Hay. Uh, comes over as the, the chief operating officer for them. Andrew is a you know well-known guy in the industry. He's written a couple of different books, uh, featured you know he's in the, in the media on a regular basis. Yeah, and uh, I've met Andrew before. He seems like a wonderful person. Um, as Rob said, he has been around for a long time. Um, glad to see that Lara's is growing and that they can uh, you know expand their their leadership and and have some more folks in there. Uh, directly, he came over from uh, he was a co-founder and the COO for LEO Cybersecurity, mostly focused on doing credit union financial services type uh, type services. So congratulations uh, to to those guys to to Andrew and Chris and the whole Lara's company. Yeah, good stuff. Um, all right, next we have a story from Coalfire. Uh, they were. Uh, put on the list of top workplaces in Colorado by the Denver Post for the second consecutive year. So c- congratulations to them for being a great place to work. Yeah, it's good to, good to know that those guys made the list. I, I haven't looked through the whole list yet to see if there's other Colorado security companies. Have you taken a look at it? I did not see the whole list, um, but I have not seen press releases for other Colorado security companies, so I'm guessing that uh, maybe there aren't any. Yeah, that might be true, or it might be that they just got a little bit of a preview on it, and we haven't Could seen be. the list come out yet. So yep. congratulations to Coalfire. Um, certainly, you know, one of the bigger security companies in town. And when you're bigger, it's always, I think, a little tougher to to stay that with that quality workplace. So good luck. For, uh, congratulations to those guys. Next, CyberGRX. They actually won an award, too. They they received the top rating from SC Magazine uh, as a, what, is, what do they call it, um, a, as the largest global cyber risk exchange. Yeah, so this was looking at uh, service providers that have software for uh, doing third-party and vendor risk management. And um, yeah, as part of that, um, SC Magazine rated them. I think it was it was not a perfect score, but it was a pretty... Four, it was 4.75 4. out of yeah, 5. Okay. Yeah. All right, so pretty darn good score. Um, so congratulations to them on uh, SC Magazine thinking that the solution is a positive one. Uh, and then finally, Logarithm... Um, also, this seems to be a, an award show list. They were named a Gartner Customer Choice recipient. So, Gartner asks for feedback from uh, their f- from customers of uh, different companies and takes that feedback sort of independently to determine um, you know which companies have uh, you know good customer satisfaction and are happy with the products. And uh, and Logarithm received that award from uh, from Gartner for being one of their customer choices. Congratulations to Logarithm for that. And uh, I actually think this is their, their second year in a row where winning the same award. So yeah, uh, nice to stuff. know that their customers like what they're doing. Next, well, that's it for news. Let's go ahead and move over to our Slack message of the week. Uh, Andre Gaeta, thank you very much for sponsoring this. Uh, this has actually become one of the more popular things in the in the uh, uh, Slack message area where people uh, appreciate knowing that, that you're doing this and, and we appreciate what you're doing. So speaking of appreciation, this week we actually had someone nominate a Slack message of the week. Normally, Rob and I painstakingly review yeah. every Slack message that went through in the previous week to determine, um, you know, through some amazing algorithm that Rob came up with uh, to figure out which is the best Slack message, and that's what we choose as Slack messages of the week. This week we actually had a nomination from uh, someone else. Um, there was a an article that was posted by Cynthia Summers 
um, about a hackable insulin pump that is on demand these days. And uh, and so it was nominated by Flint. Uh, by Flint for her to get the Slack message of the week. Yeah, this, this is a really interesting story. We, Alex and I read this earlier, and we're talking about how it's kind of cool. This It's an old, vulnerable version, but basically because it's vulnerable, the, the kind of do-it-yourself market was able to uh, add a new uh, algorithm that assesses, you know, what you're doing and kind of in real time determine how much insulin insulin you need. So people can actually versus having to do kind of painstaking calculations outside of that system, actually have it integrated directly with the pump itself to give you more or less insulin based on, you know, what you're actually up to. Yeah. And what they were talking about on, in the article a little bit is, you know, there's been this concept for a long time of an artificial pancreas, essentially being able to read your blood, figure out what amount of insulin you need and then pump it back in. And uh, the, the DIY market with this uh, insulin pump has been able to essentially create something like that on their own, which is pretty cool. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move over to our events. Uh, that's it. Actually, I guess I'll say for Cynthia, congratulations. You're going to get to pick one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. Thanks to Andre Gata. Uh, moving over to events. We do have a calendar of events at colorado-security.com. Go to the a security events calendar. Take a, take a look at what's coming up here. We'll during the show we go through the next two weeks worth of events, and sometimes we'll do a, a call out to one other event out in the future. and And that's usually right now we're in RMISC season. Yes, we are. Uh, so June fourth through sixth is the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. That is the biggest event here in Colorado every year. We'll get uh, you know I think we'll get over fifteen hundred people there this year uh, at the Colorado Convention Center downtown. Yeah, and uh, as we've been doing the last few weeks, um, been trying to highlight some things this week. I'd like to highlight another one of the, the pre-conference sessions. Um, Mohammed Malki, again, mm. will be teaching his cloud security training as part of the conference. Um, this is actually even expanded from last year. It, it was a great success last year. Um, he's uh, expanded it to a full day. Uh, previously, um, for the Cloud Security Alliance, he teaches the, the CCSK class. This class that he's teaching at RMISC is actually of his own creation. The CCSK is very um, aws focused, which is fine if you are an AWS person, but he goes over multiple different clouds, multiple different topics, full day of cloud security training. So if you're looking to get up to date on what's going on in the cloud, you should definitely come take this one. Love it. All right. Uh, this, for all those people who always ask us, how do I get more valuable for potential employers? Go to this training. There, there you, you go. go. Right. All right. Uh, so looking at the next couple of weeks on the 6th of May, SecureSet is doing a hacking 101, creating a virtual lab with AJ Menendez. Um, also on the 10th, it looks like they are doing a similar one, creating a virtual lab um, on the 10th, also secure set. Um, so that's the only two events this whole week. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. That's you know, we're getting towards the end of the school year. I think people are winding down a little bit, taking yeah. a little break before uh, before summer. Well, the next week, the, starting at the 13th, it is getting started. So on the 13th, NCC is doing their Beyond Bitcoin 102, the future of the tokenized economy. Uh, on the 14th, SecureSet is doing their expert series with John Morton on the MITRE ATT&CK framework. ISSA Denver have their chapter meetings on the 14th and 15th. The 14th will be at lunch in Boulder, dinner in the downtown De uh, Denver area, and then Wednesday the 15th will be at lunch in the Tech Center. On the 15th, there is an event called Open Source, Open Taps, Open Possibilities. Rob, what do you know about this event? Um, I now I got to remember what this was. Uh, Looking it up. Oh, this was oh, this Veracode. Is, that's right. Yeah, so Veracode does their their DevOps security kind of city tour at different places. So there, I, I guess I should have put that on the calendar. But this is specifically them coming into town talking about how do you get security embedded with your DevOps process at the application level. Awesome. On the sixteenth, 
ISC Squared Denver is doing their May chapter meeting. Um, also on the 16th, SecureSet has another event. They're doing a Capture the Flag event at Den Hack. Awesome. Uh, on this, the 18th, uh, ISSA Colorado Sp Springs is doing their May mini seminar. They do these uh, periodically, I think a couple times a year, on various different topics, um, a way for you to learn something and get some extra CPEs. That is it for the events for the next two weeks. We can jump over to our jobs. Um, a couple of jobs at Ping, still jobs, the same ones we've had open for a few weeks. I'm hiring a junior product security engineer. This is someone with a development background who's looking to uh, move over to the security side and help us secure the SDLC. And I'm looking for that person's boss. We're looking for a product security team lead. Uh, as we're growing out that team, we're really looking to to build a couple of different team pods. So this person would work with four or five people um, on their own team, helping us secure our SaaS applications. Nice. Twilio is looking for a cloud security engineer. So if you take Muhammad's training, maybe you'd be up for that one. Absolutely. Uh, Metro State is hiring a computer information systems security instructor. You want to teach how to do it? There you go. Nice. Verizon is looking for a cybersecurity leader for managed services. Red Canary, as we've already discussed earlier, they are looking to hire a director in incident handling. Nice. Uh, Digital Globe slash Maxar is looking for a director of cybersecurity audit. Get to work with our friend Chris Martinez over there. Uh, Colorado State University is hiring a senior cybersecurity engineer. So this isn't a teacher. This is someone to actually do the work internally. Uh, NREL is looking for an energy systems cybersecurity undergraduate intern. That's a very long intern position. I like it. We, we, we definitely have folks who are looking for their internships, and I'm glad to see that not all of them are filled at this point. Uh, and finally, Managed Methods is hiring a customer success manager. Managed Methods is the local um, CASB pr provider here in town. So this is a way for you guys to, to get your foot in the door, working with customers, and it's for a security company. They're also up north in the Boulder area. So if yeah. you're up that way, probably be a good job. Awesome. Well, that is it here for, um, that's it for this week's news. Alex, this week you sat down with Mike Wilson from Enzoic. I did. Um, Mike Wilson is the founder of Enzoic. They are a, a service that you can use to check password strength, make sure that you're not on a, um, using a password that is on a uh, breach, you know, similar uh, to other services that are out there, like Have I Been Pwned? Um, and uh, it was an interesting conversation about him and, and Zoic and what they're doing. And they were formerly Password Ping, so correct. So we, we've talked about them on the show a few times with that name. Um, cool. We're well, looking forward to it. Uh, that's it for the news this week, and we'll talk to you soon next week. Thanks, Rob. This is Joshua Fultz, CISO at eFolder. This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. This is Alex Wood with Colorado Equal Security, and this is our feature interview. Today I am talking to Mike Wilson, CTO of Enzoic. How's it going, Mike? Great. How are you doing? Awesome. Thanks for uh, for coming down and talking with us. Uh, sounded like you had a, a you know little extra traffic getting down here, the uh, long drive all the way down from Boulder. Oh, it's Denver. Yeah, I mean it, it takes forever to get down to the tech center. So yeah. It's well, again, I appreciate you coming down here. Um, so for the people that don't know you, maybe just give a quick uh, background on, on who you are and what you do. Uh, well, my name is Mike Wilson. As you've already said, I'm, I'm currently Chief Technology Officer and Founder of Enzoic. Um, in that role, I, I kind of basically am managing products uh, as well as the development team and engineering and um, also kind of do some coding and a little bit of architecture myself still. 
Um, and you know, in terms of my backgrounds, I've I've been in security since 2004. Um, I've been doing software development since you know around 1995 um, full time. Before that, I was actually in, in college, did a bit of consulting here and there, uh, and even all the way back to, to high school actually. Nice. So. So if you were if you only got into security in two thousand four only I guess I'll say in quotes only yeah <laughs> only um, what, what were you doing it sounds like programming but you know what was your focus prior to that um, you know various things I, I actually started my uh, career after college working at NASA so oh, I actually cool. worked for a contractor Loral Space Information Systems down in Houston and we actually were doing a uh, a contract to replace the old Mission Control Center. So, you know, back in the mid-90s, uh, when I kind of started it, you know, they were still using all the old Apollo-era green screen consoles to manage uh, uh, shuttle flight control. Right. And so there was a desire to modernize the center. So, you know, I was part of the contract that was charged with doing that. So we were coming in and replacing all of these old consoles with, you know, modern, at the time, uh, Unix terminals and Unix servers. Uh, building big big clusters of those and, and all modern, you know, X Windows GUI apps for everything and, you know, kind of bespoke application <laughs> development for, for all these different flight flight simulator things. Flight that, that's funny to hear now, modern and X Windows. Exactly, yeah. Uh, at sense. the time, modern, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sort of random tangent. I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about um, there was supposed to be a spacewalk and it was going to be, I think it was going to be two women Mm -hmm. And that was would be the first time ever when there were two women doing a spacewalk, and it ended up not happening because they didn't have enough, uh, they didn't have the right size spacesuit. Right. And I was like, that is so weird. And then they went they went through the story about how, um, you know, essentially they're using the same spacesuits that they've used since the seventies, <laughs> and so you know sometimes they only have like a certain number of a certain size of spacesuit. So if you are a certain size person. Right. And you can't, they don't have the right size spacesuit for you up there, um, then obviously you, you can't go, you just don't go out outside. In space. You can't <laughs> go out in space. Um, and uh, it, that was just a weird problem. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't yeah. think that would happen. But they also said like every one of those spacesuits is like $15 million or mm -hmm. something like that. So there's not really an incentive to get new spacesuits. But right, right. I, I don't know. Very strange problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, you're you doing uh, replacement work for, for NASA. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was down in Houston, like your. That was down in Houston, yeah. yeah, at the uh, Johnson Space Center where Mission Control is at. And so, as part of that, I you know I'd actually get to go into the control center during missions and help support some of the missions and oh, that's you awesome. know take performance data on what at the time were all these brand new applications and figure out if we had performance hotspots that we need to address and and just kind of monitor health and status assistance during missions, which was really really cool. I was really excited about that. You know. Were there any? Um, interesting or scary or anything um, sort of scenarios that you got to witness like while you were in there something crazy happened in a mission or something like that? No, I, I never really saw anything crazy happen during a mission. I did see at one point, um, you know, the network, one of the things I had to do actually was, was monitor the network periodically, which yeah. um, it was all this kind of fiber network. So it was FIDI, if you remember that, yep. FDDI. Um, and basically, I you know, plug in this network analyzer and, and you know, we would take just random traffic captures. And at one point I did actually see, I think somebody was imaging a bunch of new workstations during a mission. <laughs> um, and I saw the network just kind of max out for a long period of time, you know, just 
hit the 100 megabit per second limit on the network for a long period of time, which oh, was kind of interesting. You, you didn't really want that to happen because right. you know these consoles would just start dropping data when they when the the latency would get too high on the network, and so you know you can just have periods where the controllers couldn't see any data coming from the shuttle, which is always a problem. Yeah, you, you don't want that. <laughs> no, you don't want that. Although that it, it happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and so then you moved on to where after that? Um, actually, after that, uh, I, I actually went to graduate school, um, so I went up to Penn State uh, to do graduate school, and um, and then when I came back uh, from graduate school, I actually uh, started a couple, well, I had a couple series of jobs, but I was doing some con consulting for a little while, and then actually um, in the late 90s, kind of started a company doing uh, next generation next generation voice over IP kind of applications. Okay. So like uh, fax over IP, voice over IP, which in the late 90s is kind of a, a cool new thing. And um, yeah. uh, so I started a little company with three other partners at the time down in Houston. And we did that for a couple of years. And um, we actually, you know, got, we're relatively successful in the sense we were, you know, making money, paying salaries, you know, not wildly successful or anything like that. but. Um, I ended up leaving that company because uh, our CEO at the time, um, one of my partners, basically came in and told us that he was also the one who kind of focused on sales. He came in and just basically told us that I'm going to be spending a lot less time on the company because I'm going to go pursue a career as a professional poker player. <laughs> so that's kind of a good, good, you know, All right. yeah. good indication the company was probably going to start winding down at that point. And so. Um, I had spent uh, at that point, actually, I guess about three or four years uh, doing that, and was a little burnt out from the startup grind of, of you know, kind of bootstrapping this thing right. for the last three to four years. And so, um, I, I kind of went through this period of just not knowing what I wanted to do. I mean, I was still there and still kind of pulling a paycheck, but I, I just at that point I was kind of just done and uh, considered, you know, all sorts of a variety of different things I might want to do, but. At the end of the day, I, I kind of said, well, maybe a change in location is kind of what I need. You know, it's, it's tough to go from being in your own company and, and having that going and, and to segue into just going and working for someone else. Right. Um, so I was trying to find something that made it more palatable for me. So I, I had, you know, really heard great things about Boulder. I had never actually been to Boulder, I have to say. But I'd heard great things, read great things, and I just kind of got curious. And I said, I'm going to pull up Monster and just see what kind of jobs are available yeah. in software development in Boulder. And I hit upon a job where it's one of those kind of weird things where it's like you read it and you're like, this is just, this is me. This is my right. totally, almost reads like my resume. So. Turned out that job uh, posting was for a company called Webroot. Um, might have heard of them. Might have heard of them. Yep. Uh, recently got acquired by Carbonite. Yep. Um, and so I applied for the job. You know, did their code test, uh, which was a lot of fun. And you know, that point when I, I think when I first started interviewing them, they with them they were about twenty people or so. Wow. And so they'd never actually reload anybody. So they were kind of like, well, we don't know if we really want to do that, but you did really well in our code test. We really like you. So uh, we want to bring you in. We'll bring you up here for an interview and let's see how it goes. And so they flew me and my wife at the time up there and brought us into the office, or brought me into the office and did an interview on site and got to go to their beer Friday that they did every Friday where they nice. had a keg in the office. and. And that was cool. So I got to kind of meet everybody and talk to everybody. And we spent the weekend there in Boulder, decided, you know, kind of just get a little bit of a feel for the place. I loved it and said, you know what? If they make me an offer, I think I want to do this. And they ended up making me an offer and, and gave me some relocation allowance. And nice. 
And that's how I got into the security space. <laughs> so next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm up here working for Webroot and uh, you know, initially they kind of had me doing uh, some, some groundwork on sort of their nascent antivirus product they were considering building at the time. Um, so uh, what were they doing? I'm trying to remember what they did before they did antivirus. What, what products did they have when you got there? Um, so their, main, their two main products, their first product was a product called Window Washer, which essentially okay. kind of cleaned windows, like cleaned up your history, browser like a history. cleaner kind of. Yeah, yeah. so um, they, you know, that was a, a pretty successful product for them back in the day. And then they kind of just got this uh, um, wild hair to try and do an anti-spyware product. Uh, this is, you know, 2003-ish time frame, I think. Yeah. And so not really much of a market for it at the time, but it was one of those just sort of perfect timing things where they said, ah, let's roll the dice and try and put together an anti-spyware product. I think you had like, you know, SpyBot out there at the time and AdAware right. were the two yeah. um, probably most popular ones. That, but they, you know, SpyBot was free and it was a small, small, small space at that point. And, but they released it and it was just sort of at the exact right time. And then this sort of tidal wave of awareness about adware and spyware hit, right? Kinda, I think more like early to mid 2004 timeframe, right? About the time I started. And Spy, I mean, the Spy Sweeper, which was their product for anti-spyware, Spy Sweeper just, it just took off. I mean, it, it, was, it was crazy how successful. I mentioned, I, you know, there were about 20 people when I first started interviewing in like May of 2004. And, yeah. and by the time I joined and by the time I actually got there, probably like late June or July 2004, they were double that. I mean, that's how fast they were going. They were like 40 something people. So wow. the traje trajectory they were on for growth was just insane. And so, um, so yeah, I joined the company and, and um, it was just sort of a, a wild ride of, of growth when I first got there. The people were just being added all the time and new faces on the office all the time and they just moved to bigger offices right as I joined. But um, they kind of had me working on this antivirus product and then decided they just really wanted to expand the development team on SpySweeper. And so, um, and they were in the process of rewriting SpySweeper at the time. So they had me join that effort, and so I ended up being on the like the four-person development team that rewrote SpySweeper. Um, got in on the ground floor of that, and then they were kind of looking for a leader for the team. And yeah. of the four of us who were on it, I was really the only one that kind of had any type of leadership experience. And so they just picked me and said, "Hey, you want to lead this team?" I said, "Sure." Nice. And that's uh, I ended up being becoming the manager for the SpySweeper team. And um, yeah, from there it was just uh, the next whatever, two years are just kind of crazy, um, kind of writing that. So, uh, you know, five straight Editor's Choice Awards, we won on that product from PC Magazine, and that was a big driver for a lot of that growth, too. We kind of like, for a while, they were pretty much acknowledged to be uh, best of breed for consumer anti-spyware. So. so this was your first foray into security, and mm -hmm. I know your current company is in security. So did, did that experience did it hook you on security? Or is that uh, it, you know just sort of convenient that now you have the, the security experience to go forward and do that kind of stuff? No, I, I mean I really I really enjoyed it. I mean it was it was, pro it was probably one of the best experiences of my life. Um, was was working on that team, feeling like we were really you know, making a difference in the security space and, and helping people fight this really atrocious problem that was 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 adware and spyware. Um, and you know it, the the nice thing about that product too is there was a sort of this ongoing challenge it you know it's kind of like it, it was a, a a product that fought back a little bit <laughs> because right. the bad guys are constantly evolving so there was never a point where you can say well we're done with this it's like no it's uh, you know 
almost daily there was new stuff coming out that we had to evolve to meet and so it was a, a interesting challenge and so very rewarding um, a product to work on so, nice yeah um, and then I assume at some point that ran its course moved on to other things yeah I mean the, the, the market started to change a bit obviously you know the antivirus vendors the traditional antivirus vendors kind of Added, started adding that to their products and you know Weber was trying to pivot over more of a generalized antivirus product as well and so um, you know things just kind of changed around there and, and you know we had a change in control as well there was uh, some new uh, venture capital had come in and, and invested in the company and I just wasn't enjoying it quite as much as I had before so I had the opportunity to go uh, work at another startup in, in Boulder um, that was uh, being headed up by one of my former uh, co-workers there at Webroot and so I uh, I left uh, in 2006 I guess mid 2006 okay. to join that startup so um, yeah from there you know that was it was not necessarily security related startup I mean you know it was more of a, a, a aggregation platform so it's a consumer facing product still but we were doing um, sort of email and social networking aggregation so basically trying to bring together in one UI all of your communications, if it's email, Facebook, Twitter, you know, MySpace at the time was a big thing still. So uh, bringing all that together in one UI and, you know, I came in and, and, and kind of did that for uh, a few years, led the team there, built the team from, from the ground up to, to work on that product. And um, it was a lot of fun, but just not, not really, ended, ended up not really being a market for it. And um, yeah. I uh, just ended up winding down. That was a uh, Jerry Polis's company, actually. Fuser was was that oh. that place. So, yeah. so you and the governor are close then. I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I know him. <laughs> you know, yeah. but certainly don't feel like comfortable calling him up on the phone and saying, "Hey, you, know, you do me a favor." Or something. No, no, yeah. not like not like that at all. So, so, uh, so, what led you to to starting the the current company that you have started now? Um, so, you know, post-Fuser, I ended up uh, uh, working at Webroot again, actually. Um, and I, I actually um, kind of had a different role there this time around and ended up sort of prototyping and, and releasing their first mobile security product. So um, that was uh, around 2009. So this was kind of a market that hadn't really existed before that it was just starting to come into its own on android at least that there was kind of a market for mobile security um because i initially started off kind of they brought me back kind of more of like an r d type role where i could just kind of pursue almost like whatever i thought might might end up being a good product and so uh i started looking at the mobile space and i originally looked at ios and kind of determined pretty quickly that well, there's not much to be done there it's you know I'm sure there's vulnerabilities in the platform, but because it's so locked down, we can't do much to defend it either. And so went over and started looking at Android instead. And you said, man, this is a hot mess. Android was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of potential both to defend the platform, but also to exploit the platform. Those two things kind of go hand in hand. So yeah, I kind of put together the first uh, uh, Android security uh, application, which you know, certainly wasn't the first in the industry or anything, but the first you know, for Webroot. Um, you know, kind of prototyped that and you know showed it to the uh, you know to the executives and they were kind of sold from the moment I demoed it and said this is something we need to, to jump on and we want to productize this and they said you want to you want to build a team and and productize this and I said yeah absolutely so I spent the nice. next few years doing that um, in the mobile security space which was a uh, interesting new world um, interesting in the sense that you know 
it definitely was a market there, but not necessarily one people were willing to kind of pay extra for. Um, right. Because it's mobile, I mean, people just kind of expect for things to be free or at least very low cost. So, right, yeah. Uh, Is your app 99 cents? No? Okay, <laughs> I don't want it then. Right, so it ends up getting, usually getting bundled in with, uh, with these suites now. But um, so I did that for a few years and then, uh, uh, you know, I kind of ended up getting a little uh, stagnated there towards the end of it and um, got approached to come on board with a company called uh, GFI um, and work on some of their products. And so I did that uh, after WebRoot and then at GFI, which became Logic Now while I was working there, I kind of did some more MSP-focused um, type products, uh, you know, managed security, uh, managed uh, service provider type space. Okay. So, uh, um, but uh, you know, initially started off with kind of some wireless security research slash products um, that didn't end up really panning out, unfortunately. But um, and then kind of moved on to building out more of the antivirus effort that they had integrated into their MSP remote management and monitoring platform that they had called Max. Um, so worked on that for a while and really I'd, I'd kind of gotten started getting the itch to start my own thing again while I was working there and you know had a few ideas uh, here and there and it kind of was just waiting for a good you know natural inflection point to do that and that kind of came in 2016 when, when Logic now sold to SolarWinds. And so uh, that was a good exit point for me to, to go off and, and start what ended up becoming in Zoic, um, originally password ping, and then, then later in Zoic, so. So, uh, so what was the idea? What, what, was, what was the problem you were trying to solve? Well, actually I had the idea in 2015, and, and I, um, like I said, I had a number of ideas, but this one I, I kind of really, really kind of settled on as, as being the star. Um, I just was seeing just, you know, all of these data breaches, right? I mean, we really started seeing these big mega breaches hitting. Um, really, the first one was Adobe, which was earlier, but, you know, I started seeing, I think, you know, at the time, LinkedIn and like MySpace were kind of all like right there around the same time, mm -hmm. 2015, 2016, and um, started seeing all of these, and it just kind of occurred to me that, um, you know, it'd be really good if you could check your user credentials against some of this data that had been leaked, right? I mean, people just, they tend to reuse passwords all over the place. I think the statistics right. are between like 40 and 50% of users are reusing passwords. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, I started researching it and figuring out, yeah, this is a problem. There is such a thing as, you know, credential stuffing where people are trying these things to find, you know, yeah, accounts where someone reused a password right. and uh, are having success with it. And they're didn't really seem to be a product uh, out there that, that really allowed people or allowed companies to check their users' credentials against a list of these known bad credentials. It's a pretty simple approach to it, but there just didn't seem to be anything out there that did that. And that, that kind of was the crux of the idea and, and what I wanted to pursue. And so that's, that was kind of just really the start of the idea. And initially I just kind of did passwords because it was simple and I could get it out. So just, you know, when someone goes to reset their password, hey, you should check that against a list of known bad passwords right. and make sure it's not in there. Hey, that's, one, that's one good step of, of, uh, of improving user password security. Um, so our first little product that we built was uh, just sort of this freeware password strength meter. It was branded, so, you know, Hopefully we were getting, we were going to hopefully, hoping we'd get a little bit of visibility just from the branding of it. So yeah. just kind of put that out there and it's like it, it had uh, uh, this open source library called ZXCVBN built into it as well. So it, it kind of did more like the algorithmic strength check uh, coupled with a check against our API to see if a hash of the password the user just entered existed in our known list of, of or a list of known bad passwords. And so that's kind of where we started. and. 
uh, you know, kind of put that out there, like starting I think September of 2016, uh, just kind of as our first little little product, and um, from there, you know, kind of kept building the ability to check full credentials and you know come up with a way of really allowing that to be done in a secure fashion uh, without necessarily having to pass us. You know, last thing we wanted to do is somebody pass us plain text credentials, obviously. Right. So spent a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to figure out not only um, how could we build a database where it wasn't just a giant database of clear text credentials just sitting out there that's you know ripe for someone to come invade and <laughs> steal. So we didn't want right. to do that, uh, but also a way for people to securely pass uh, their credentials to us in order for us to for us to check them. And so, um, and also you know dealing with the amount of data that we had as well, which was you know at that point billions already billions of records and, and growing daily at a very high. Now clip. I'm sure it's multiple billions of yep. of credentials. Yeah, and then the flip side of it is is you know th the threat research side of it, which. Um, you know, essentially it consisted of building a, a very large suite of, of automated uh, uh, sniffers that just kind of go out there and look in all of the, the right places for this data, bring it in, and then ingest it. And ingesting the data actually turned out to be a, a sticky problem because um, a lot of people trading this data or putting this data out there, these are not computer scientists, and they have just like, it's a wild west of crazy file formats. And <laughs> there, There's not a, um, a, you know, a, a standard XML model of, of you know, how to share breached credentials among uh, the, the dark web? Yeah, unfortunately not, no. And, you know, things like you know, comma delimited files, except the delimiter is actually embedded in the data, so you, it's just like, and there's no field delimiters. Yeah, just crazy, crazy stuff like that. So building a, a, some sort of automated parser that could deal with all of that and, you know, recognize, you know, well, what email addresses obviously are easy to recognize, but things like, you know, plain text passwords, if it is a bunch of data, usually there's a bunch of data in these files. It's not just like username password. It's, there's a bunch of other data like addresses or phone numbers, dates of birth, things like that. Right. Um, you know, recognize what's a password versus, you know, what's something else. And, and so um, that's kind of what we spent m much of the first months of the company doing is, is building this, this stuff. And, and it was a bootstrapped effort, uh, so it was, you know, pretty much just me on the development side <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a fun time. Um, yeah, and then my partner, Kristen, she was, she was kind of handling the marketing and sales angle initially at least. Um, and then uh, after about a year, we brought in another partner to, to kind of help us focus on that. So, so I, I am curious on the technical side. You know, you mentioned some of the the technical challenges you had to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious what some of the solutions are that you came up with to make sure you're not storing, you know, people's breach credentials in clear text that you're not you know, that I don't have to hand over my my password to you and trust that you're, you know, doing something sure. good with that and right. uh, and that sort of thing. Um, well, essentially, it kind of all relies on, on hashes and, and salted hashes. So it's, um, you know, when we index a new set of credentials into our database, um, what we're typically going to do is we're, we're going to look and see, you know, is, is this user already in, say, like a user's table that we keep, right? Yeah. And, and we, don't, we don't store like the plain text user. We store like a hash of the user's email address or their username. Uh, we look and see if we've seen them before. If we haven't, we add them and we assign them a salt that they're going to be in our database. And then when we go to index their actual credentials, you know, we're going to take the, the username and password that we found, and a lot of times it's not a plain text password, it's a hash of a password. Um, you know, concatenate those together, and then we, we can calculate an argon2 hash, which argon2 is one of the newer sort of uh, memory hard algorithms out there for hashing that's uh, a little safer than some of the ones like bcrypt that are older. 
Um, and we're going to calculate an argon 2 hash of those things together with that salt value. And then we have another table which is literally just credentials. And so just these credential hashes. And there's no linkage back to the user. So it's just, a, just essentially a giant list of argon 2 hash values without the salt. So you don't have the salt and you don't know what user it's associated with. So, you know, it's kind of like good luck cracking it, right? If you ever got a hold of this thing, this giant list of, of salted argon 2 hashes where you don't know what the salt value is and you don't know what user it's associated with and you, you know it's got a username and password in there, but getting it out would be really hard. So that, that goes a long way towards defending our database um, from being used maliciously if somebody ever got it, got a hold of right. it, right? Obviously, we keep a lot of controls in place to make sure that database stays very, very secure. Um, in terms of how people check a given set of credentials against it, it's kind of going in reverse. You know, they're going to do that argon2 calculation on the client side, and then they're going to take just the hash, once again, and, and pass us just the prefix of that hash. So they'll pass us some, some small number of bytes at the beginning of that hash. Um, and we'll return just a list of the potential matches. So they never pass us the full, full. credentials hash. Yeah. They're just passing just literally a small part of it. We'll give you back any of the candidates that we've got on that, and then you can decide locally whether there's any matches. And that's, in a, in a nutshell, kind of how the credentials API works. Right. So, so um, you mentioned that one, your first thing was the, the strength checker. Is your aim today, are you aiming at individual users, or are you aiming at... Um, you know, people who are building applications to, to include this kind of functionality so that, you know, when someone's using their application, they, they're not putting in bad credentials. Um, yeah, are, are you plugging into, you know, company directories? What, right. what, what, words, uh, what, what are people using this for? Um, yeah, so today our product offerings, uh, we have a bit of a range. So, um, I mean, initially, yeah, when we started with a strength checker, that was very much targeted at, hopefully, developers, development teams who were just looking for a password strength checker out there, and, you know, might latch onto this as being a new cool way of doing this that's also more secure. Um, now, you know, now we've got a, a range of products. We've got the API product, which is sort of our base level product that someone who's, you know, wants to integrate this into their environment at a custom level can use. So if they've got their own authentication system that they've built or, you know, their own application, custom application that they might want to use against this, the API is, is, is the way to go. And we've got various SDKs that wrap it and make it easier to use for various languages like, you know, JavaScript and Java and, you know, .NET and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, that's kind of our base level product. On top of that, we've also got some integrations. So we've got an Active Directory product uh, that provides this type of functionality for Active Directory. And so with this product, you know, we're, we're basically going to sit on uh, as an agent on your direct directory controllers, your DCs, um, and listen for uh, a variety of things depending on what you want to configure. So we can listen for password changes. And whenever a user changes the password, we can check it against our list of known bad passwords. Um, and if it's you know, on there, you have a variety of, of things you can do, but basically it's going to reject it by policy. Um, it also will do things like monitor the user's existing passwords. So once they have a new password set, it'll, it'll monitor their current password to make sure it doesn't become compromised. And this kind of ties into some of the new NIST recommendations as well. You know, NIST yeah. kind of recently changed their recommendations to, uh, to this, this type of an approach. Um, and then we also, uh, you know, have the ability to monitor full credentials. So you can basically watch for a given 
a user's credentials to go bad, not just a, that the password that they're using has become compromised, but are their full credentials actually leaked out there? And then you've got remediation options of you know forcing the user to reset their password on next login, disabling the account, uh, notifying them, um, notifying admins, obviously, whenever this kind of stuff happens. So. Uh, and so the Active Directory product is uh, another one of our key offerings. And then we've got some integrations in progress to some of the other solu IIM solutions out there, which is a natural place for us to be. So uh, we're working on integration into Fordrock, for instance, which I think you had uh, VP for Fordrock here. We <laughs> uh, did. On your last podcast. So, um, I, I don't know if you've uh, met Mary or not, but she's in town. Not, so no. may maybe you guys could have coffee. <laughs> um, yeah, we've actually talked to some folks over there, but yeah, it's... Uh, uh, so that's one of the, you know, the integrations we've got kind of going in progress, and we're you know we've always got a lot of, of work going with some of the IAM vendors trying to get some um, uh, integrations going into those. Um, some of them we can, you know, we're working on some integrations that we can do ourselves using what's publicly already available. But some of them it's it's, it's kind of a more of a business development type approach that we're having to take. Yeah. So, so um, I imagine when you started this, you there were probably no other people that were trying to solve this well that you knew of that were trying to solve this problem. Right. And I know of today, at least one other, you know, have I been pwned, um, right. is doing something similar. I know um, Azure AD is trying to build in something in directly into Azure AD to do, um, it's not quite exactly the same. I think that it's basically just a, a password list that they're checking against, but right. so, something similar. Mm -hmm. um, ha have you seen, um, you know, a lot of I'll call it competition starting to pop up around this problem. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, apart from from the ones you've mentioned, there's there's at least two other competitors in the space, um, maybe three or four, depending on how you how you look at their products. But yeah, for sure, there's there's other other competitors that popped up, which in in some ways is a good thing because it validates that there is, uh, you know, some value in this, right? This, this right. type of a product, um, and. Uh, and so, yeah, we weren't aware of anyone at the time. Have I Been Pwned actually was around at the time, but their solution was a little different in that they kind of just took these lists and indexed any emails. Uh, this was, uh, yeah, I think I mean, when there. they first started, they was just kind of like, put your email in and we'll tell you if you've been pwned. Right, which I, I, I looked at and I said, that's really cool. I mean, it's a really cool idea. Um, I said, I, I wanted to extend it, though, so that you can actually say, uh, make it more actionable, because right. you can actually say, well, yeah, sure. I was exposed in that breach, or, or you know, one of our users was exposed in this breach, but that could have been a password they haven't used for ten years, for all we know. So, what are we going to do with that? Really, right. it's just kind of another data point, and, and you can use it to potentially score risk, but not necessarily actionable in and of itself. Uh, so that's why I wanted to include, you know, make sure we had full credentials and full credential checks because we felt like that was just a much more actionable thing to know. It's like, you know, no, your your user with their current password has been exposed, so. They are in danger. You are in danger. What have you? So, that's gotcha. Kind of um, and I assume um, since you are still running the company, that things are going well. People are uh, interested in the solution. You guys are growing. Um, yeah, things have gone have gone quite well. Um, you know, we are up to about ten full time folks now, um, and we're about to add probably eleven and twelve within the next few months. So we are growing. Pretty nicely. Um, like I say, we, we were bootstrapped from the beginning. Um, we've really been profitable almost, well, since year one, not since day one, but since year one. Um, and, you know, kind of remained profitable ever since. And so uh, this year is set to be our biggest ever in terms of, of revenue. So uh, nice. we're, we're doing well. Um, I'm pretty sure I remember you guys were selected at RSA for the Innovation Sandbox. Is that we were. correct? Yes. How mm -hmm. was that experience? 
Um, I didn't actually attend. <laughs> I was, um, I got busy with other stuff here, but uh, my partners did actually attend and, and that was great for us. We talked to a lot of, a lot of great folks and, and, and got to kind of really get our solution out there a little more. Um, so a lot, a lot of great feedback from that conference. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, so what does the future hold? This is, you, know, you came up with one really great idea, you know, sort of narrow in focus and it sounds like you're solving that pretty well. Um, what's next? Um, you know, really just kind of expanding uh, the toehold we've got in this area and, and, and building the product out into more of a larger offering to help with, um, with authentication risk. So um, right now, you know, as you mentioned, we are rather narrow. We, 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 uh, we can't operate standalone. Uh, it's better when we're integrated into something. So pursuing integrations into all of these various IAM vendors products is, is very, very high on our list um, for, for the near term. Um, and past that kind of growing the, the, the number of risk indicators that we can provide. So there's some unique insights into the data that we get, um, or some unique insights we get from this data and, and, and from uh, when customers are using this data. And so by getting a little more information from customers, such as things like you know, the source IP of the authentication request and whether it was actually successful on their side, um, we can start building out some other interesting data points behind the scenes. Like we can potentially map out you know, whether an IP look, appears to be part of uh, a botnet that's conducting credential stuffing attacks is one obvious thing that we can back, kind of back out. So that type of data, expanding our, our reach into that type of data and providing that data as additional signals uh, for customers to use is, is, is uh, one of our areas of focus at this point. Um, and, and really just trying to become more of a, a valuable service for these, for these risk-based authentication products, either internally built uh, products that people have or you know, potentially commercial off-the-shelf products they're already using that they can add additional signals into. Yeah, uh, you mentioned you guys have grown to 10. Are you looking for additional expansion? Are you, uh, am I gonna hear about some, uh, some venture money that you're raising here in the future or what, what's, the, what's the plan there? <laughs> gonna, gonna keep going with the, the bootstrap model? What's the? Um, at the moment, we're, we are, we're continuing to bootstrap. We don't really necessarily have any plans of taking outside capital at this point, but we are continuing to grow the team. Um, you know, as it makes sense, and, and yeah. we, we will be definitely adding additional headcount over the next year, and so uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But, nice. Yeah. Um, well, we are getting close to being out of time. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't hit on? Um, I can't really think of anything else. Um, you know, I think it's been really great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you being here. Um, if people want to find out more about Enzoic, where should they go? www.nzoic.com. Perfect. Um, well, thanks again, Mike. Appreciate the interview. Uh, this is Alex Wood, and this has been Colorado Equals Security. We will talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equals Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.